Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Ada Grunkvist, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with Swedish champion Ida Gronqvist about equal playing fields, transfer bids and the pleasure of fulfilling your potential. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first... Let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, partner. How are you? Jocelyn, I am great. Very excited to talk to you this week. I had a very interesting game this week. I was thinking about Adia Julian talking about how she redeemed herself that time when she was playing with her coach when she misbid a hand and, and they ended up winning the event because this game, the first round, board one, 6%. Board two, 9.7%. Board three, 13%. Absolute horror. Absolute horror. But I collected myself. I composed myself. And what would you know? Ended up 20 out of 218 with a 63.3% game. So I was very, very happy to have regained my composure. And let me just tell you, who came first? Jeff Mextroth. <laughs> <laughs> who came fourth? Zach Grossack, who is Georgia Botter's regular partner. And Mitch Dunitz came sixth. So it was a really strong field. I was delighted with that result. 63%. Very, very happy. As well you should be. My God. But it's so demoralizing at the beginning. I mean, I'm always sort of <laughs> like, I'm just going to leave. I mean, this is just, this has, this has no future whatsoever. But that's that's fantastic. Thank you. Well, my partner messaged me and said, I'm glad we got that round out of the way. But, you know, I was worried it was going to be one of those pooled thread games where it was just like, okay, here we go. Nothing was going to make any difference. But, you know, yeah, we, we redeemed ourselves. So that was, it was really, really great. I was thrilled about that. Absolutely thrilled about that. Sometimes it's interesting. The club I mostly play in, 
you do not see your results at the end of each round. Although I've played in other clubs where that's really popular. And it's interesting playing on these BBO games where you get, you know, your percentage right away. And I think your attitude about whether you like to have that information versus not may depend on kind of how you started playing. If you got that information at the club, seeing other people's scores in the uh, traveler or on a computer, or if you didn't. Do you mean when you first started to play bridge at the clubs? Yes, the club that I mostly play at, where I learned you don't see the results at the end of each round or at the end of each hand. So for what that's worth, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you kind of get psyched out a little bit if you have a bad first three boards, which you did not. And kudos to you for not just throwing in the towel, but persevering <laughs> and getting a 63. You know, it's interesting just though about the results. I usually try not to look at the results. I think I knew I was doing poorly in that game. And then I'm like, okay. And I had a look. It's like, ah. Often it'll be halfway into a game before I even look at the results. You know, you often have a fairly good idea of how you're performing. It's demoralizing when you think you're doing okay and you look at the results and you're like 40% or something. That's miserable. Absolutely miserable. But I, I knew that we'd done not brilliantly. And then, of course, it started to feel a bit better. And so I was then, you know, wanting to check that my intuition was right, that the game had been getting better, which it had. <laughs> Stepping away for a minute to say thank you to our friend, Larry Cohen, known for his keep it simple sweetheart philosophy. Check out his quizzes, practice hands, and Bridge Made Simple webinars at www.larryco.com. Thanks, Larry. So Jocelyn, I've had a look in the mailbag and we've received a letter from Steve from Pennsylvania, who has responded to our call out for stories about making life master. Would you like me to read it to you? Oh, yes. Okie dokie. Here we go. So he, he starts by saying, hello, ladies. I appreciate the podcast. I started listening after I saw a note about it on Bridge Winners. It's good stuff. <laughs> well, thanks, Steve. We're glad you're enjoying it. And thanks, Bridge Winners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. In one of your earlier episodes, you asked for any interesting stories about making life master. Mine is sort of unique and I'd like to share it with you. In mid-1995, I was up to 298 master points. At the time, making life master required 300 total master points with a mix of different colors. So for people outside the US, you need so many gold, so many silver, and so many black and red points. And the hard ones to get are the silver and then the gold. I had all the needed red and silver points, but I was 4.21 short of the required number of gold points. There was a regional tournament in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where I lived and played. We had a pretty good team for the midweek Flight B Swiss team event. We were doing okay during the first half. At the dinner break, I checked the bracket sheet and saw that fourth overall in the event would pay 4.2 gold, which of course is what he needed. Well, we all know that the bridge gods have a perverse sense of humour. Our team had had a strong second half and finished second overall. Hooray, Steve's a life master. But wait, there's an appeal on an auction from the other table. 
we lose the appeal and drop from second place to fourth place. The next day's bulletin had a large headline article on the front page titled, Farmer Falls 0.01 Short of Life Master. He says, I did see the humour in it. A couple of months later, my regular team of four, a different team, went to a regional in the Philadelphia area. We played in a bracketed knockout and won our first two matches. With those wins, my partner and I both made Life Master at the same time. We went on to win the event, and in doing so, the husband of the other pair on our team also made Life Master, and his wife got all of her required gold points. That was a nice way to go over the top since we had all been working as a team towards that goal for a while. I'm not sure how many other people can claim to have made Life Master twice in the same year. (laughs) And then he signs off with finesse, Stephen. (laughs) That's great. Stephen, thanks so much for writing in. I love that story from Steve. And I actually had a very similar experience where a friend and regular partner and I were both missing just a few points, a few silver points to become life master. And so we decided, wouldn't it be fun to go and play in a sectional and both get our silver points that we needed? She needed a few less than me, maybe a third of a point. I mean, very little, but it was definitely conceivable that we could get the two points that she needed and not get the 2.3 points that I needed. And then she would make it and I wouldn't make it. But luckily we got something like four points. So we both made it and it was very wonderful and exciting to make Life Master, not just um, at the same event, but at the same moment. Oh, I bet it was. It would just be double the fun to make Life Master with it with a friend, I think. It was great. It was it was so special. Yeah, it was pretty terrific. Oh, Jocelyn, that must have just been so exciting. I can just imagine you on that drive home. You would have been beaming the whole way, yes? I absolutely was. It was very exciting and it was really rewarding also because we had, you know, set out to achieve it and we had achieved it. So very fun. That's great. That's great. Well, Stephen, thanks again for writing in to us. We really appreciate you listening to the show. If you've got a good story about making life master with a friend, regular partner, or some other major bridge milestone, please send us the story at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or via Instagram, or you can leave us a voice message. The link is in the show notes and there's some other info there too. Coming up next, our interview with Ida Gronqvist. Swedish champion Ida Gronqvist grew up in a bridge-playing family, but she had no interest in the game until she was 11 when her parents taught her and her brother to play to keep them occupied during quiet evenings on a family vacation. By the time they returned home, she was hooked. Her bridge highlights so far include winning the 2019 Venice Cup, the 2019 European Mixed Teams, as well as two Open Junior World titles 
and two Open Junior European titles. We began by asking about her best or worst board of the week. I was playing this tournament online on RealBridge, and we were not doing very well about two-thirds into the tournament. And I was sitting first seat, uh, white red, with uh, ace-king-jack fifth of clubs. So I decided to um, open three clubs, and it went past, and my partner raised me to four clubs, and it went all pass. And normally this is kind of a dream situation if you open three clubs on this hand and it goes four clubs all pass because partner usually doesn't have a lot and the opponents for sure must be making something and you're non-vulnerable, so you're not going to be very, it's not going to be very expensive. But of course, this time when the opponents led, I saw the dummy, my partner had been almost as aggressive as me, racing me on two small clubs. So we were in our 5-2 fit here on the four, four level. And he also had some spare honors on the side. So of course I went down four. And uh, they were not making game due to the club situation. So that was like a clear disaster to uh, collect with the rest of the hands. But the best part was, I'm not sure if either of you have played on RealBridge, but you play with the cameras and with, with your sound on. But when the round is finished and you have a couple of minutes to, to spare, you can turn off your video and your sound but you're actually still at the table. But sometimes your opponents don't realize that you're still at the table because to them it looks like the video is off. So this was one of those hands. I went to get coffee and I could listen to my opponents speaking in length about what an idiotic three-club opening that was and how it's impossible to make such a bid. Yeah, so this, uh, <laughs> the, I think that was almost the, the best part. Is If you haven't tried Real Bridge, you, you, maybe you should try it just for, for having the opportunity of listening into your opponents when they don't realize you're listening. But yeah, it was a fair critique from there. That's hilarious. I love that. When I played on Real Bridge, I did enjoy it because of the, uh, the interaction, but I didn't get any of the, uh, the secret listening in. <laughs> yeah, the secret listening, yeah. Did they recognize your name? Uh, yeah, yeah, I assume so. Maybe that was even why they were more surprised. They thought I was a better player than to open three clubs, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> what were your earliest memories of bridge? That would be my parents playing. They, they were playing for a big part of me and my brother's childhood. We only started playing when I was about 11, but I have memories of being maybe four or five watching my parents playing at home teams games and having friends over late and they were just talking about cards and even if we had dinner with them they were only talking about the bridge I thought it was so boring but once they actually taught us we were really into it ourselves and would join the conversation at the dinner tables afterwards. Did they have to persuade you to learn to play or did you want to play by the time you learned to play? I would definitely say there was some persuasion uh, involved. It actually happened because we were on vacation in Bulgaria and we ended up in some hotel out in the middle of nowhere and there was absolutely nothing to do in the evenings. And everything we had was a deck of hearts and two weeks together. So my parents figured that we might as well just teach them something complicated to keep them busy. So they taught us bridge and we played every evening. And when we got back home to Sweden, we continued to play. And once we were able to actually go to a tournament and saw some other young players, I think that's when we both were actually hooked. And since then, we never stopped. Your parents are both champion players. How did you go from playing on vacation in Bulgaria to competing formally in clubs? Well, it started once we got back home, basically. I, um, we, we played for a couple of uh, 
months back home at the kitchen table. And then eventually, I guess our parents felt that we were ready and they took us to the local bridge club to play a tournament. I remember my mom just came home from the, the Europeans or something like a couple of days before. And then she went straight to the bridge club to play with me. And uh, it was a great uh, experience. I mean, there was not a lot of young players around. It was uh, the, the usual crowd. But it was a great experience for me because we actually won that tournament the first time, me and my mom. So I was super psyched, especially beating my brother. It has always been one of my foremost goals. So it came out as a very positive experience for me. <laughs> and afterwards, uh, we started playing quite regularly at clubs. And also being a young player, people very soon get interested in uh, helping you along. And a lot of people reached out and asked to play with me and, and my brother. And we went to the Bridge Festival here in Sweden for the first time and met a lot of young players. There was a junior camp and it was, yeah, you just kept going from there. And we moved on to bigger and bigger tournaments. So you felt there was a world there and it just started to invite you in and pull you in. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I don't think I was extremely hooked until I actually met the other juniors. That was the most important part for me when, when we went to the festival and we saw there are actually other young players who are doing this and they seem kind of cool. And also it was in the beginning uh, a great opportunity to go and travel uh, as a young kid. Didn't have so much uh, possibility to travel outside of Bridge, but Bridge was a great excuse to to go away for a weekend, even without your parents. So yeah, that also had a, an allure to it. When did you realize that you were good at Bridge? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I realized uh, ever, but people were telling us quite early on, both me and my brother, that we that we had some talent, that we we could become good players if we applied and and continue to to play. And I guess it was uh, encouraging me to continue to play. And then we uh, were very lucky to find great mentors early uh, who played with us, who helped us along, and we got to go to our first junior European championships just a year later when I was 12 and I got to play with one of my biggest role models at the time Sandra Rimstedt for a whole week and I I learned so much and we actually did quite well given that we were very inexperienced and new to the game when we got there so that was also a lot of fun. You clearly had mentors not just your parents but other people almost from the beginning was that because you were known in the bridge community because of your family. Was that because you were clearly hugely talented? Was it a combination of both or was it just good luck? I'd like to think that it's not only because of my parents. Of course, it helps to have a family in the bridge community who knows a lot of people, who have friends that help you along. But I also think that was a little bit just the way the community worked at that point. People felt that it was very important to take care of the few juniors uh, that were around because already then, now we're even fewer juniors here in Sweden. But even even then, it was a decreasing number. Um, so in general, I felt like people were putting in an effort to to make the few juniors feel welcome and go along. So yeah, I think it's a combination. And then of course we had lots of luck uh, with just happening to be in a country and in cities where there was a lot of great bridge players around to to help us. 
Do you have a favorite tournament that you really like to play? Nowadays, I love going to the nationals in the U.S., mainly because it's the one opportunity to see as many of my friends as possible. And also the, the level of the competition is fantastic. But for sure, it used to be otherwise junior tournaments. The European Championships and the World Championships for juniors was the perfect mix of serious, high-level bridge competition and the most crazy stories outside of the bridge table. So, yeah, that would be my chosen favorites. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If your regular partner or partners were asked what your strength is, your particular strength in the game, what do you think they would say? I think they would say that one of my strengths is that I don't get shaken so easily. So even if I have a bad result or the opponents are annoying or whatever, I, I'm, I'm good at shaking it off and not letting it affect me on the next hand. So I think that's uh, one of my uh, biggest strengths that my partners also would notice. Where does that composure come from? <laughs> I guess it's, it's a personality trait also. I started playing at the same time as my brother, as I already told you. And my brother has always been the the more, can we say, passionate bridge player of the two of us uh, at the table. And so when when he's been showing lots of emotion, I've tried to maybe show restraint. Uh, I'm not sure if that's how it started, but for sure there is like a big uh, personality difference between the two of us. And it really shows at the table. What might your partners say if they were asked, what is Ida's weakness? in the game? I think most of my partners would probably say that I'm a bit too um, rushed sometimes when I make decisions and, uh, and that can be costly. So yeah, making too quick decisions uh, once in a while uh, would be one of my weaknesses for sure. Would this be more in the play, the defense? Can you think of any examples of a time when you rushed the bidding or the play, and it was costly. 
I mean, there are many examples, of course, uh, where you don't take the time you need in order to figure something out. In the bidding, it's it's harder because passing in some situations will give away more information that you maybe will be able to get from it. So when it comes to bidding, I'm more okay with sometimes making rash decisions, even if they turn out to be the wrong ones. However, in the play, there is certainly situations. It can be, I'd say it's especially on defense probably, but but it can also be as a clearer where you just have the instant feel that, oh, I have to shift to this. And you will make that shift, not thinking about what's going to happen three tricks later when this and this and this have played. But in the plays, quite often, especially maybe on defense, when you quite early in the on defense have a sense of this is the right thing to do and you just go with your gut and, and you haven't thought it through what's going to happen four or five tricks later when your partner is in on this difficult switch or for instance you are just making your natural discard and not thinking about the problem that your partner is going to have at a later time so these are the situations i'd say when i'm sometimes too quick and should maybe uh, give myself a couple of seconds more before i put the card on the table and that would save my partner a lot of trouble what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you when you were playing bridge so we were at a junior tournament in Turkey and uh, we were playing at a, a campus, like a kind of university campus in the middle of nowhere, basically. And uh, it was a very hot tournament. It was in the middle of summer. It was 35 degrees Celsius. And uh, we were staying in rooms with no air conditioning whatsoever. But there was a very nice pool on the campus that people were very interested in, in getting into. Unfortunately, we're not allowed to use it. But as the week wore on people became braver and braver in 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 going to the pool and what happened usually was that people went there late at night when the guards was not there also you had to break into it illegally more or less (laughs) and there were like these armed guards walking around the the whole campus at night and eventually they would of course see the people at the pool and come and break up the party but towards the end of the week they had already figured out what was going on so when you would get there at night, there would just be armed guards all around the, the pool instead, preventing any more fun of the kind. Did you have to climb a fence? There was some climbing involved, uh, some hiding <laughs> in bushes, uh, hiding from security cameras. Why didn't they want you to be able to use the pool? I wish I knew. I mean, we were not, the, <laughs> n- no one was fluent in Turkish. Uh, we, they just showed up with big guns and told us to get out of the pool and we uh, happily obliged without questions. <laughs> yeah, I guess guns will do that. And then we came back the next night. So, <laughs> What's the most interesting or unexpected place that you ever played bridge? I guess the most unexpected time I got to play bridge was Many years ago, I was in Paris with my then boyfriend, just visiting as tourists. And we were out walking. We were in the park, the Luxembourg. We were walking through the park and uh, we saw first some people playing chess. And then we saw like a a group of tables uh, with people playing cards in the park. And it looked kind of fun. So we went there to watch and realized that they were playing bridge. So it was all these uh, old gentlemen and uh, old women in their Sunday's best just sitting at the, in the park playing bridge in the afternoon. And they asked if we uh, knew the game. And we said, yeah, yeah. So they asked us to, to join them. And they had no idea who we were, of course, or that we actually could play bridge. 
So they were very kind and teaching us all kinds of tips about uh, how to use suit preference when giving partner a rough. And, and they were giving a lot of, uh, they were talking a lot about uh, this one particular gentleman who apparently had been top 30 in France in 72 or something. So he was a great deal and uh, very respected amongst the rest of the community there. So we, we spent a lovely afternoon playing bridge with these French aristocrats in the park. Can you tell us a bit more about some of the details, Edith? Yeah, I remember it was a very sunny, beautiful summer day in Paris. And, and these people were sitting there in like, you know, their best suits and uh, flowery dresses. And uh, some were smoking cigars. It felt kind of like being transported back 80 or 90 years into what I imagined bridge was like back then. How long did you stay with them? So we, we stayed there for two or three hours, if I remember correctly. Trying to be very, uh, keeping a very low profile and being very uh, thankful for them teaching us all these great, valuable lessons about bridge. You didn't say to them, yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know that. Do you not know who we are? <laughs> Apparently we were playing the 30th best French bridge player from the 70s, so... Who are we to argue? In your social circle, do you tend to hang out mostly with other bridge players or non-bridge players or mix? I think I have a great mix of uh, most of my closest friends are non-bridge players. I have a lot of friends from uh, law school, for instance, that I uh, spend time with. But I also have some of my very closest friends from the bridge world. Normally, I don't get to see them as often. But when we see each other, it's uh, it's still very instant great connection so I'm very happy for the people I met through Bridge. I know that you have an interest in music and I was wondering if you see any similarities or connections between music and Bridge. Yeah I would say so I mean I'm actually um, I can compare it a bit with I I sing in a choir and uh, choir singing is it's it's also like a partnership where you have to trust each other and you have to cooperate and practice together and you're never going to be stronger than the the weakest link so to speak and i feel it's it's a lot the same with with bridge partnerships that it's so much about working together with your partner and becoming a strong partnership you don't have to be the individually strongest players to make a great partnership just as you don't have to be have the individually strongest voice to make a great choir. If you find that connection and you and you help each other out, then you can like make a great final product anyway. Thinking about one of your regular partners, what has been one of the most challenging aspects of working on a bridge partnership? Well, being as one of my uh, regular bridge partners is my brother, I would say that has been the most challenging uh, partnership playing with a close uh, relative it always proposes its own difficulties we've gotten better with time but when we were younger we uh, there was a lot of emotions flowing about and it was very easy to get each other started to get upset to start fighting in between rounds etc and uh, when it's someone you know that well uh, also maybe with another bridge partner that if you've played together for such a long time that you know each other inside and out you have to be careful with how you phrase things and how you say things and you know like maybe you have a partner who likes to be super aggressive in certain situations and maybe that's 
a fine way, but it's not going to work within this partnership because your partner is not comfortable with that kind of bidding, for instance. And maybe you, so you might have to fine tune it depending on the person you're playing with. What do you think can be done to get more women playing at the very highest echelons of the game? I think there's a lot that could be done. Maybe the most important thing is that everyone has to be able to believe that women actually belong there, which I think there's a lot of people still who don't. I think more people should be open to the idea of having a female partner, of playing with female teammates, of playing against women in general, because the only way to get to the very top level is to be there and play at the top level and eventually start beating those opponents that will be beating you in the beginning. Have you encountered situations where you were made to feel that somebody didn't think you belonged there? I mean, I've had all kinds of uh, attitudes shown towards me at a bridge table, and some of them maybe belonging to me being female and some of them don't. But for me, I mean, it's been very easy to compare since I started playing at the same time as my brother, and we kind of grew up within the game together, and it was quite obvious quite early uh, that people would approach us about bridge in different ways, that they were maybe expecting my brother to want to play in high-level competition much earlier than, than I would be interested in that. And it's, it's, it's these small things that I don't think anyone is meant anything by it. But to me, it was evident, and I think to some people, it would be discouraging also, feeling that people are not viewing you this way. For me, it's also been a kind of motivation to feeling like I want to show them, I want to be there, I want to be better. But for sure, I can see it swing both ways. And I think there's a lot of people who's been discouraged from bridge uh, at the top level for this reason as well. Can you think of any specific examples when your brother was being treated differently to the way that you were being treated in terms of the level of competition that he was being invited into? Yeah, for sure. So for instance, when my brother was 15, maybe he was asked by a top player in Sweden to, to play in the first division at the highest team's tournaments here. And I think the first time I played in the, in the first division in Sweden, I was 18 or 19. And even though when my brother was 15, I was 13, I was not as good as him. But for sure, the fact that no one popped a question to me before I was 18 or 19 uh, was quite evident because by then I was much better than my brother at 15, I assure you. What's it like being a world champion? <laughs> it's not a bad feeling. I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to put that in my, on my bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about what that felt like? It's just a great experience when you play these long, long tournaments like never ends and uh, to finally make it all the way you because b- before you win the tournament in my case at least you've you've been to so many of those where you uh, lose a match earlier or you're like you've had so many disappointments along the way before you actually get there so when you do that and you do it with the friends that you lost all those earlier championships with it's a great it's a great experience I will cherish it forever do you have a favorite convention or gadget that you like to play I'm a very big fan of transfers in general, both in uncontested auctions and in contested auctions. I think it's just a great way almost always to both place the right hand as declarer, but also uh, freeing up space for you to be able to show a suit both with a forcing and a non-forcing hand. So uh, yeah, I really like to put transfers in, in as many situations as I can. 
Has this always been a part of your system or have you incorporated this style more recently? Transfer systems are quite uh, used in, in Sweden, particularly. Uh, a lot of the good pairs here play something called a transfer club. So you play like a short club opening where you have transfer responses to that. Uh, but that's just like one part of it. A lot of it is just having agreements with your partner in, in all these different defensive situations. And that's something I've, I guess I've been adding on little by little for many years, but it's not the way I started playing for sure. In the beginning, I played very, very natural things. I guess the first transfers I learned was after one or Trump, and then <laughs> it kind of kept adding from there. Can you tell us more about what it is that you like about transfer systems? Yeah, so one thing that's really nice about it is the fact that if you have a long suit, you might want to be able to show it even if you have a weak hand or if you have a strong hand because you want to compete both with the strong hand and with the weak hand. And by using a transfer, uh, you don't have to have, for instance, the bid as uh, forcing because you will always get a second chance to bid if partner has to take the transfer and then you can next time show if you had a forcing hand or not, but you can also pass with a non-forcing hand. So this is it can give you an opportunity to show your suit without setting up a forcing auction. This is one of the, the main perks. Uh, and the other part being that a lot of the time you're placing the right hand as declare, either the strong hand or the balanced hand or the hand where if you have an overcaller, for instance, you will have the overcaller on lead by putting your partner as um, declare in the suit. Uh, and this is also a great advantage, a lot of the time, at least. What about conventions that you don't like so much or that you think perhaps are a waste of time? Well, the worst convention is always the one that you forget. That's the simple answer. Which one do you forget? <laughs> Different ones. No, but the easy answer is any convention that you're not going to remember. I think me and many people with me, when they play with someone for a long time, you have a system that you keep adding and adding gadgets to, changing and you're making these small changes. And what you forget to do maybe is like the spring cleaning, because there is only so much information that you can put in notes that you'll be able to read up and memorize before tournaments. And it's not only you who has to remember it, but also your partner once it finally comes up. So I rather not have like the perfect way to ask for the 10 of trumps on that one <laughs> hand in four years when it shows up. Uh, than having that specific agreement in my notes and have to go over it every time and be anxious about forgetting it over those four years. That makes sense. Some of us have a rule that if you learn a new one, that means you have to get rid of you have to get rid of an existing one. You can only have so many. It's not such a bad rule. Maybe you should have, or maybe you should just have a maximum. Uh, set the maximum for how many you're you're supposed to have. What's the best? bridge advice or tip that you've ever been given? To have fun. Simple as that. If you don't have fun with bridge, you're not going to get better and you're not going to enjoy the time doing it. So why are you even there? What does it mean to have fun at bridge? For me, it means to dare to experiment a bit, maybe to, to dare to be wrong. Don't be so afraid to play bridge the way that everyone tells you to do. You don't have to play the conventions that everyone else is doing. You, the important thing is that you are doing something that you think is fun. And if you lose a little, win a little, it's, it's all good. I mean, as long as you're having fun, you're going to keep on uh, learning. 
and eventually you will become better and achieve better. Ida, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really lovely to talk to you. Ida, thank you so much. It was terrific. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. And that's the show. Many thanks to Ida Gronkvist. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. These links and a link to our merch store are in the show notes and on the website, along with some other good stuff. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Ida says, dare to experiment, keep learning and have fun. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.